Welcome to Dr. D's Social Network. Let's set the mood for this podcast before we jump into it with some music courtesy of Fesslian Studios. Let's go. Conflict, mediation, resolution. As you can imagine, there's quite a bit of that going on in our world today. 2020 has turned our world into a very different place. There's a lot of questions, lots of answers, lots of discussion. Today, I'm with Natalie Garamone. And Natalie has been with us before. Her energy, her spirit, her presence is always welcome here. I think you enjoy her second appearance here. We talk about a variety of things related to conflict resolution and mediation, but also some themes related to identity in the virtual workplace. Ladies and gentlemen, Natalie Garamond. You may remember her from episode 74, Natalie Garamond. When I was, by the way, one of the uh, really well-received episodes that I've had, people loved when you came on. Oh, I love hearing that. It was such a fun conversation. It was a great conversation. And um, I feel like the, everyone who, who listened on my end as well had really great things to say as well. So I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's definitely one of the more um, streamed episodes that I've had out of the 142 so far I've done. So um, it's nice to be back with you almost, what, double, I mean, 70 plus episodes later. <laughs> so to have you back and the, the world we're living in is very different from when we spoke last time. Very different. Yes. Well, I'm thrilled to be back and I'm thrilled to catch up with you on how things have changed and 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 everything since 70 episodes ago. So tell me about your business. I think a lot of people are very enthralled with the conflict resolution and mediation. I got a lot of feedback about what is that? Like she goes and does that? Like how has that changed with uh, what's happening? Yeah, it's so funny. I um I do get that a lot. People are will sometimes say I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And you know, I think mediation is starting to see it's starting to become more and more popular. I'm going to say mediation, but also kind of alternative dispute resolution um, as as a more 
productive, constructive way to handle disagreements, whether it's in the workplace or out in the world or between couples or between families. Um, but, but before I got into that space, I didn't exactly know all of the details of it. Um, and I've just learned so much on my own journey. So I love hearing that people are intrigued by it and learning more about it. Um, things have been, and things have been good, um, as good as they can be. I think so much of what the world has experienced with regard to a global pandemic has forced us to shift how we work. And I remember you and I had a great conversation around just different uh, different work experiences, generational differences, and how that relates to workplace culture and conflict. And I feel like things have changed so much even since then. Um, a lot of my work has shifted simply to being virtual. I'm fortunate that, you know, in, in doing work on my own, a lot of it is workshops and coaching. And so that translates pretty easily to, to virtual sessions. Of course, the challenge always becomes, especially with workshops, making sure people are engaged. And when everyone is now doing Zoom or WebEx or Teams meetings all day, every day, how do you really make it engaging, but also acknowledge the fact that people are kind of burned out with it? Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, there is there's this fatigue also with it. I've read about this, you know, kind of screen fatigue and um, which I think is interesting because uh, as you may have known from last time, I, you know, my whole businesses have all been virtual and live for the past several years. And I kind of hit that fatigue earlier on. And then I kind of just got through it because I was like, well, this is how it's going to be. And so I just was like adapted to it over time, but I could totally see, um, how it's affecting people. But I wonder, like, I always thought that people always send me all these comments about your last appearance because it feels like disputes and mediation are so common amongst people. Yeah, it is. And I think the way, you know, the way we are communicating now virtually for those who haven't been accustomed, accustomed to it, like you have, um, for those who are kind of just hitting the peak of their fatigue or their burnout, um, or just their exhaustion with it, um, they are experiencing conflict, disagreements, and tension in a new way. Um, and I think that's really important to acknowledge, and especially as we're encouraging people to uh, to continue to communicate. It's not like we can stop communicating, right? We can't stop working. It would be nice if everyone could kind of go on holiday for, for the past couple of months and say, we'll regroup when this is all over. Yeah. Um, but it can't happen that way. But I think for, you know, like you said, you've been doing, you were ahead of the curve. You've, you've been doing it for a long time. Um, and so your, your brain and body is used to it in a different way. People are almost like learning. They're learning a new skill in a certain way. And yes. I do know some people who have literally never opened Zoom or WebEx before. Totally agree. To. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's a burnout, and a, that's a learning a new skill. It's like learning a new language, right? It's like yes. tiring. It's tiring for sure. Yeah, I've I have noticed that too. Because what's interesting for me, since I've had so much experiences with it, is uh, like my wife, she uh, is teaches in the college here up here, community college. So she's had to do all this online stuff. And she never did any of it before. And she's always asking me questions about, well, how do I access the microphone and stuff like that? And 
you know, it's glitchy and here and there. And so I was like, and it's frustrating. I can see her getting frustrated because she just wants to be in person with people to be able to handle those things. And so you're right. I think it's like you're being forced to move into an area that maybe you didn't want to be in at all. And people probably still don't want to do it. They're begrudgingly doing it, you know? Yes. I think that's absolutely right. There's, there has to be, um, and there has to be kind of a willingness, a desire, um, which is very different to say, Hey, you know, I think I'll take up learning virtual training. That'd be fun. I'd love to host a virtual workshop and learn how to do that and almost make it a skill that you're intentionally developing versus being forced into it. It just feels very different. Like when my stepkids get up in the morning and they decide on their own that they want to make their bed versus me telling them you need to make mm-hmm. your bed. It's a of very course. different uh, experience. That's so true. I can totally identify that with the kids thing, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's totally different. My daughter actually wants to clean her room versus me telling her it's like a very mm. different experience, you know, for Absolutely. that. I think about in this discussion, our behaviors And as you know, and I'm sure all people who are listening to this, we're at a time of a lot of conflict and um, potential mediation. What are your thoughts on how we can do a better job as a nation in addressing all these issues from racial unrest to information about the pandemic and everything like that? Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on right now that is so absolutely critically important to progress and continued forward movement. Um, I will say, I do, I I will say um, this as a kind of disclaimer, I'm not a racial equity expert. I work with so many people and know so many people who are um, incredibly educated and expert in that space. Um, So, so everything that I share in our conversation will be through a lens of my own personal experience and also my professional experience um, as a mediator. Um, But with that in mind, you know, I think one of the things that, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's racial injustices, police brutality, everything that the world is experiencing together over the past certainly few months, um, it is change, full stop. And so if you think about what change is, change is actually any change that we experience individually or collectively is actually a grieving process. And so you can map Mm. the change curve with the stages of grief. And there is an incredible overlap there. And so if we almost step out of everything that we're experiencing to try to look at it more objectively, just for a moment, and we look at just the fact that we are all experiencing change at an incredible rate um, that's uncomfortable and it is going to cause us to grieve what we have known, whether that's face-to-face engagements with students or clients or whether it's going the, the routine of going to an office every day or dropping your kids off to school every morning and now they're here in the house screaming while you're you're on your conference calls. (laughs) Um, You know, there's just a lot that we are all experiencing and it has been compounded over the past few months, certainly past few weeks. Um, And we need to give ourselves space to grieve what we, what we have known and also um, to take a beat to appreciate that, you know, 
we're all hopefully going to come out a lot better from this process um, and this collective experience than maybe we, we were before. That's the hope anyway, right? Right. And I've never heard of it change as grieving. That is literally the first time I've heard that. I was very struck by that term used with change. and But it makes a lot of sense. It makes a tremendous amount of sense for that. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we meet that or how do we handle that grieving process besides stepping back what are some things we could do to really work through that and to say hey this is a changing aspect of our lives and how do we move forward in this Yeah um so I've been doing a lot of having a lot of conversations with with clients and um whether it's through workshops or one-on-one coaching sessions with people around how to kind of address and understand conflict in virtual work environments. Because regardless of when we start across the country, across the, across the globe, begin this kind of re-entry into the, the workforce, um, it's going to be different. And we are still going to um, continue this kind of grieving process of not having it be the same. When you show back up to the office, there's almost this expectation that, oh, I can show up to the office and there's a sense of normalcy, but it's going to be very different. Mm -mm. You may be required to be a mask. (laughs) You're not going to be sitting next to the person that you used to be sitting next to. It's you're only maybe only a quarter of the office will be there at any given time and the rest will be virtual. And so, um, so in a lot of my conversations, I'm talking about a couple of things, um, a few things are, that are really kind of foundational to, I think, how I'm encouraging people to look at uh, addressing, spotting, and resolving conflict and tension. Um, the first is that acknowledging the change and, and sort of the grief that has accompanied it. Two is um, the idea of um, expectations. What what expectations are we setting for ourselves, for our employers, for our families, for our friends? Um, and then two is this idea of um, uh, understanding that helplessness, which is a result of change, right, and uncertainty. If we feel uncertain, we feel helpless. And when we feel helpless, we feel insecure. And when we feel insecure, we don't usually, not many of us, but we don't usually, it doesn't bring out the best in us, right? When we're put on the defensive, (laughs) when we're insecure, it's just not our best version of ourselves. And so I think that we're all moving through this in different phases, but Many of us at some point in the past few months have certainly not been the best version of ourselves. And I think understanding that um, how insecurity shows up for you as an individual is absolutely paramount to um, to addressing anything that, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about or um, uh, how things can be moving forward. You know, it's, it's, that is interesting. It's, we, we are not the best versions of ourselves when we're like that. It's, mm-hmm. I've been interested in people's behavior as things, but you, let's talk about in the context of work, you know, or going back to restaurants or going back to the gym, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it may be. I feel like we always, as humans, have these, this idea of, of longing for something a time ago or how things were and getting back to that. And then, but we, we're always seem surprised that it's not going to be the same, even if we're told it will be different, you know? 
Yes. Yes. And that's the, that's the expectation piece, right? And I feel like if you can temper those expectations, um, and I know it, it's funny because everyone has been saying, I'm kind of air quotes, everyone has been mm-hmm. saying, well, there is no normal. There, there's a new normal. But we say new normal as if everyone kind of has a shared understanding of what that is going to be, right? And so even when we say new normal, what does it act, what does the gravity of that phrase even have? for us individually or collectively. Um, I think we, when we say new normal, each recognizing that each person has their own expectations of what new normal could and should look yeah. like is critical um, to any re-entry or whether that's to work or going out to, to eat for the first time in three months, which my husband and I just did um, Recently, we went out to dinner, went on our first date night out to a restaurant in three months, and it was bizarre. It was just (laughs) bizarre. Um, (laughs) I think I got quite accustomed to just hanging out at home and cooking dinners and having it just Mm -hmm. be kind of us. Um, But it was, you know, cute little restaurant. It was on the river in Richmond, and they had everyone kind of spaced out, but you're you're walking in, you have a mask, it's disposable silverware, it's a tiny menu on a QR code. And it was just kind of, I, I actually personally, um, I knew it was going to be different, but I didn't understand what that was actually going to look like in practice. And so we almost have to go through the, these sort of visualization techniques or go in with very little expectations and just knowing that we're not, we don't know, we have no idea. 2020 has been exhausting. Impeachment, Brexit, Australian brush fires, Kobe Bryant's sudden death, a global pandemic, and that only gets us up to March. With COVID-19 and November elections still on the horizon, it's more important than ever to be informed, but it's hard to keep up with all of it. Enter the dose of news useful today, or the donut. A 100% free daily email newsletter delivering succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. Since bias and information are a problem in today's media, CNN, Fox News, we're looking at you. The Donut provides easy access to all sides of the story. We report, you decide. And the best part? Each day, The Donut services three positive stories you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily reminder there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So, buckle up. The second half of the year is shaping up to be just as action-packed as the first. Get the donut and stay informed without raising your blood pressure. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime, but you won't want to. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Yeah, it's 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 just very interesting. I I have noticed, you know, my observation was I you know, I went out to dinner and stuff with my wife and my gym just reopened and I went yesterday and it was it was even though I knew it was going to be different, it was like shockingly very different. Um, but I think also we tend to romanticize what was even if it was like like it's funny somebody can can complain about their job and how much they hate it. But then like if they see something that's drastically different from it, they romanticize how good that job was, even though it was terrible. Like, this is absolutely true. You know, yes. we have this revisionist ideas, which is actually a large part of our psyche in a lot of human history is we, we will look back at something that was not great and then we'll romanticize it and go, oh, that was about this during that time. But we, we have, I forgot what it's called, some pseudo-based 
uh, cognitive thing, but we look back and we romanticize things that actually weren't good to make them fit this narrative that it's better than what's currently happening. You're absolutely correct. And we're going through that collectively as a country right now, too. <laughs> has has this, you know, has everything that's ever been written and shared in textbooks been uh, the accurate version of no. and most representative version? And so um, as beginning to have those conversations about how we have revised uh, as a country, some of our, our own narratives is, is incredibly um, true, too. But we do. You're right. We do it. We do it everywhere. We, we romanticize. Um, and it does have a huge impact on what we expect of moving forward for sure. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's fairly, it's fascinating. It's like memory, you know, there's, there's now, there's so much research on memory and we know memory is a very poor use of like recalling in terms of like evidence and cases and things of that nature. You know, they're like, Oh, we can't trust a person's recall because they tend to inflate or romanticize what happened. Or they make up things based off of your current understanding of a situation affects the past understanding of what happened. And that's what people embellish stories because they can't look at it from when it actually happened. They look at it, what happened, where they are now in their life and projecting backwards. And they add in all this filler from where they're currently at to the backwards, you know. You, it, it's absolutely right. You're spot on. Yeah. So like, that's why I think work, I think we have a real... We have a real thing to look at with work and like, was work really that good before or is it better now? Or, you know, these things we need to grapple with those things. It's a grieving aspect, like you said, to the change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think what a lot of people are probably going to realize, um, you almost have to go through it, right? So you you shifted your whole dynamic. You've, like you said earlier, been through that experience. Yeah. I have done so in my own way with working for a company, then working for myself. And so we've sort of gone through this like evolution of thinking and saying, hey, what I thought was awesome before is actually like fine, but this is actually better. But a lot of people are going through that for the first time. And so what I think is probably going to happen is that once you have this reentry to the office, there are going to be some drastic changes in workplace policy, certainly as it relates to re working remotely um, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, because anyone who said, yeah, we just don't do remote work here. It's not possible. Well, that got debunked pretty quickly, right? When everyone had to. So now we don't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, that's not really how we how we do it. It's not really possible. Um, but now that people know that it is, um, I think there's a great deal of anxiety around reentry. I think some people are maybe are excited about it and maybe there are expectations to be tempered there. But Many people, I'm sure, are feeling a little bit nervous because they've quite gotten used to the idea of, of working from home and having that flexibility and, and being able to um, maybe take some, some breaks when they need it. But it'll be interesting to see. How has that affected you? I mean, you're going into corporations and things of that nature, and I'm assuming now you're doing a lot of that virtually. How has that changed your outlook on what you were doing versus what you're doing now and what you think you will be doing? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I've kind of been, my personality and my style is very much, um, I try to have, I may have said this before, I try to have a healthy level of detachment um, from 
from everything, but that usually translates into me just kind of having a go with the flow personality. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when this, when this first all started with, um, with shifts in working, I got a couple calls that said, Hey, we have workshops scheduled next week. Can you do it virtual? And my answer is yeah, virtual, no problem. I, I can do that. Um, and I could, I was comfortable with it, but I think what it is, it hasn't changed so much about how I do the work. Um, and I still have, I've, I've actually had a few um, people reach out over the past few weeks saying, Hey, we'd like to do some conflict management skills training with our employees. And we are thinking about doing it in person. I don't know what the, the rules are in Washington state, but in Virginia, we've currently we're in sort of phase two limited yeah. to 50 people in a meeting and then there are certain rules um, around that having to wear masks and whatnot um so i think it depends on the comfort level of people involved all people who are going to be participating in a session and that's something that i'm very cognizant of so for me it's mostly um i'm mostly focusing on what's the comfort level of the group what's the appropriate format based on the topic um, or conversation and I'm just very mindful not to rush anyone into anything that people may not be 100% comfortable with so far. Um, but what's mainly shifted for me um, is just the topic. So really taking the top, kind of a lot of the topics I talk about around conflict management and doing research and collecting anecdotes around how that has showed up in virtual work environments. Interesting. I, I wonder how that, gosh, I have a couple of things I want to ask. Um, one at a time, Darian. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get all pumped up, you know. I got to remember. I got to remember. <laughs> uh, thank you. I got to remember. Okay. You know what? I'm going to just switch this around. So yeah. I'm going to go with my first thought. So the topic of wearing a mask, you talked about it. We talked about it off air before we got on and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I think there's there's some level of controversy to it, I think, to some some people. And that is certainly not why I'm talking about it. I'm just curious, is how do you mediate that with people? Let's say you got 50 people coming in and there are people who are very strongly, feel very strongly about wearing that. There's a lot of information related down, down to the cut down of transmission of disease or people who are just don't feel it's like a big deal. How do you mediate that with the meeting and you may be people who have different feelings about that? Yeah, it's such this this um, divisiveness around a mask. My husband and I were just talking about it. Like, how did it get to be? How did we get there? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, it's so it's been so fascinating to me. I think you know. So I'll go back to what I said earlier about expectations. Part of what um, is frustrating in so much of the work that I do, so much of the conflict and tension and frustration that people experience, not masks aside, in any situation is that they are expecting one thing or they have maybe an assumption or an idea. Maybe they haven't even articulated it, but in their mind and heart, they have an idea of how something should be. And someone else doesn't share that same idea or assumption or someone else has a different expectation. And in the case that you're giving an example of, you may have 50 different expectations about and comfort levels about one, even attending a meeting, and then two, this additional layer of um, of 
personal protective equipment or, or a mask or whatever it is um, in that particular environment. And so to me, that first, um, that first instance of, of addressing the issue is where are the expectations misaligned? So if we're at, if we send out an invite and we say, Hey, everyone, we're going to do a session on conflict management skills. It's going to be in person and it's going to be on this date and you're required to wear a mask. What you've immediately done is you have created an opportunity for people to feel like they haven't been heard. When did you ask me how I feel about wearing a mask? Did you ask mm -hmm. me if I'm even comfortable of, of, with attending an in-person meeting? Um, and so it, there is a step in between everything that's happening, I think. And I think a lot of companies are actually doing it, which is listening and saying and, and doing a quick pulse check on where, in this particular instance, people who would be attending that meeting, what their comfort levels are. Now, if you send out a survey ahead of time, which I would suggest to, the, to a particular client if they ask this of me, um, I'd say, let's do a quick pulse check. Let's see where people are with regard to the comfort level in two areas. One coming to an in-person meeting, and two, um, their comfort level with wearing a mask for up to, in this case, it would be a two-hour session. So wearing a mask for two hours is a, kind of a long time. If you've worn a mask to go to the grocery store, you know that it's kind of uncomfortable, a little bizarre, um, and let's be honest, it's kind of a distraction to the in-person workshop, is it not? It would be a little bit difficult um, to do that. And so I think having, you, if you have to listen and really care about what people say with regard to their comfort level around all of that stuff. Um, so I would start there before you even put people in a room together. Now, if you're talking about a conversation between two people who have philosophical differences in their beliefs or values or ideas about what a mask, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask symbolizes, that's a different conversation. Sounds like a lot of layers. <laughs> there are a lot. This is this is what makes conflict so fascinating. Is that it's not usually ever about the thing people say it is, and so you right. have to peel away those layers to figure out what the heck we're actually talking about. It's not the mask. I'm convinced it's not the mask. It's it's what the representation of not being able to do it represents, or you're taking away this. Maybe for some people, it's a sense of I'm I am most understood well by my expressions that you see in my lips as they move and my full expression in my face and that gets muted. They feel when a mask is on or something. You know, maybe it decreases the I don't know. It's, I feel like it's always you got to dig down another le level. It's kind of like I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine. It's like. A lot of times people just read a headline. You get this blast of a headline and then you make this assumption that that's exactly what it is about word for mm -hmm. word without digging into the weeds and going, what is this actually about? Let me read yeah. through this whole thing because we have this very short attention span now. So people are like, I'm not reading that article or they'll skim it and they miss all these important facts. And I feel like that's what's happened is there's this missing of digging through you know, uh, the weeds through it and say, what is this actually about? Yep. Well, so yes. Oh my gosh. So many ideas and, and thoughts and you're, <laughs> you're spot on. Okay. So, so we're, I'm going to work backwards. So you're Let's absolutely right. When, and think about it, if, um, regardless of the situation that ever, everyone is experiencing collectively right now, global pandemic, racial injustice, all of it, 
Think back to a time when you just had a good old-fashioned disagreement with someone else, and it was maybe an argument, and then you went even just several hours, maybe it was longer, maybe a day, maybe it was a real big argument, you went a week without talking to this person. What do we do? We fill in the blanks. We expand on that story. We employ our revisionist historian selves, Mm -hmm. and we start um, creating our own narrative around what's happened, what's happening, how that person now views us, what that relationship is going to look like in the future, all of that sort of stuff. Um, And so I think that is first and foremost, you're right. That is happening. We're getting a piece of the story. We think we, uh, we think we know all of it. And then we're filling in the blanks and creating our own um, different versions of whatever that is moving forward. Not a bad thing. It's natural. We do it right. But that's also one of the things that when you don't, when you don't try to then reconcile that gap or listen to how someone else has perceived or crafted a version of their own narrative, um, that's where we miss, right? Because you can, we're all doing it individually, but we have to also take the time to listen to other people's experiences with their own stories. So that's my first thought. Then my second thought is, Going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, we're all feeling this certain level of helplessness. And when we're feeling helpless and then all of a sudden our governors or mayors in our respective states say, you have to do this. Well, now we're automatically put in a defensive posture, right? We were already feeling insecure and helpless. And now we're being told that we have to do something. You know, we have to wear a mask. We have to stay home. We can't leave the house after 6 p.m. or whatever the thing is. Um, And it perpetuates this feeling of helplessness and insecurity. And again, we know what happens then. We're not our best versions of ourselves. And then we go and read the news headlines and we fill in the blanks and, and so on and so forth. I think there's a lot of filling in the blanks. (laughs) It's a... (laughs) <laughs> it's really crazy, actually. I think just the amount of we are inundated with so much information, so many bites of information are passing through our eyes constantly. And then you're right, we fill in the blanks of what that means without actually looking at it. I, I think since we've talked, I've had, I mean, I've had a lot of amazing conversations. And one was particularly crazy because it was about information and what we believe about information and one of the guys I was talking to, Peter Nowak of The Donut, and he owns a news organization. He was like, Darian, do you know there's significant research that shows that 73% of people disagree on basic facts? They just disagree about it. I thought that was mind-blowing. Like, yeah. Like basic I, I facts. That, that is... <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that. Like yeah. what? Did it give you some examples? He just sent me the article about it, and uh, I was reading through it. And it was just like anything you think you know that is factual. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like the sun exists, you know, right. or things, just crazy yeah. stuff like that, that people will like question you about it. They go, well, does yeah. it like I've never seen I've never been up close. It's just weird stuff, you know, yeah. and I think where yeah, have we yeah. where have we gone that like things that we know are factually true? We like disagree with each other about it and these social constructs that we've built, how narrow our social constructs are are in many ways determine how we see the world with the lens we have, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So I think about you, like if you're, if you're talking to two people, let's say, like you mentioned last time, frontline workers versus like management, things of that nature, they're seeing the world very differently. 
yeah. based off of their jobs, who raised them, where they live, all these things. That's why I said the layers. It feels actually really messy to me. It's incredibly messy. We we as human beings are are ridiculously messy. Some people are are more comfortable in dealing with the mess than others. Um, I think you have a, have to have a willingness one to accept that it's not cut and dry. Um, it's not all a, a clear cut. There are, there aren't too many clear cut answers. Um, and we're all incredibly unique unicorns in the sense that we all have those, to your point, different lived experiences that then, um, you know, contribute to everything else on top of it. So, so it's messy, but yeah, a willingness to kind of accept and um, acknowledge the messiness. And then too, a, a willingness to kind of reframe that messiness as opportunity to learn is as I think critical in any situation to yeah, move most forward. Certainly. Now, do you find that the you're finding the same challenges doing conflict resolution or mediation in person as you are finding in the virtual space? Are they the same or are they manifesting themselves in different ways? Yeah, it's funny. Um, so I, I have been, like I said, having a lot of conversations and, and reached out to a lot of people who I knew um, would might be willing to share their stories about working virtually. Um, and here's the thing. I think conflict, um, conflict and communication are, they exist and they exist whether we are in person or virtual. We're just doing it in a different way. We're communicating in a different way. And so um, some things are slightly different. And I think because of that, conflict is showing up in a few different ways and it's kind of funny how it's showing up. There are some different ways that it's showing up. And I think most of them are, I'll say this, have the ability to create a more passive aggressive environment than if we were mm. in office environments, which is <laughs> a slippery slope, Darian. It's a little, it can be a little difficult because yes. you also can be passive aggressive and I'm happy to share what, what some of you know my thoughts on some of those examples are but then you don't have to go or you know for the past few months we haven't had to go to the office and walk by that person who we just kind of you know exed out of the meeting because we were tired of listening to them or we didn't have our video or or um or voice on because we just didn't feel like participating or we were doing uh, something else in the background we don't have to walk by them and say, hey, oh, and hear them say, oh, hey, I missed you at the meeting the other day. Where were you? Or we're not having that disagreement in the meeting in the same way that we were previously. Um, and it's easier to kind of brush that under the rug, if you will, um, because we don't have to face them. So it's showing up a little bit differently. And I think we are also more likely to not deal with it as um, in in such a head-on way as we may have previously. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wonder if um, you sense that people are having, or they maybe they're expressing their behavior or who they feel they are in a different way. Maybe in a um, like they have they they feel like they can be more outspoken or less outspoken. T talk to that a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
I think it depends on the person, which is probably not the answer that you want, but everything. <laughs> no, it's okay. I live in this gray area, this kind of middle. I know, I like know. So frustrating for so many people, but um, but I think it depends on the person. Look, I think if you were the type of person who would dominate a meeting, um, in person, then you're probably still that person virtually, and people are more likely to just tune out in a different way. Um, and it, it, it may look like you're now speaking over people and less apologetic over it in, in a Zoom meeting or WebEx meeting or whatever versus in person. Because in person, we have these kind of um, social pressures and kind of social niceties that I think we follow um, and it does because we're not sitting across, you can't feel the physical presence of a person next to you in a virtual meeting. There's not the same pressure to abide by those social niceties. So if you talk over someone in a Zoom meeting, you may be less likely to apologize or you may be less likely to be aware that you're doing it because the other person's on mute. And so if they really wanted to chime in, they would unmute themselves and talk over you, right? You know, there are lots of other assumptions um, that are that are going on too. But I think at the end of the day, it depends on the individual and how likely um, what their own communication and uh, conflict management styles and preferences are to begin with. You always push me, I swear, on these things. I'm always getting like an explosive amount of ideas from whenever you tell me things. I'm like... <laughs> get this together in my mind, man. I'm like, how do I, I'm thinking, how do I formulate what I'm going to say next to Natalie? I love it. I wonder. Have you, well, I was going to ask you what you have found, if you have found that there's any, you know, if you found that it's different or if, um, if there's anything that you've noticed about how people are kind of communicating or managing conflict differently in in the work that you've been doing. Oh, good question. Um, I'm, I want to look at this in a way that doesn't like, frame it from like, oh yeah, I've been doing it. So it's no big deal. It's not like that, but it's, it's more of like, I can talk about my transition from being in person for 17 years with every single human to moving literally every single person online, virtually live, virtually that it felt very jarring. And I, I thought that there'd be a, a huge adjustment period with a lot of the people I work with, because we've had so much time decade plus in person. Mm-hmm. And I, it went very quickly. The transition was extremely quick, uh, fairly smooth. And But I also think it's because both sides of the equation, any person I was working with one-on-one and working with made a real effort to be positive about it and and to try to present the person they usually are in, in that space in the same way as much as possible for that. So they didn't act differently. They didn't try to put on a different persona or be real awkward about the platform, whatever version of platform we were using or are using. And I think that helped tremendously. I didn't come on and start working with clients and go, okay, you know, this is just so different, so weird. I'm just struggling with this. You know, like I just accepted it for what it was. They accepted it. It was an acceptance. It was a very small grieving period. I just accepted it and said, this is how it's going to be. And we all need to just accept this, you know? Yeah, I love that. You're right. There's so much of um, 
man, that brings that brings to mind like the idea of identity and how yes. we when you're in person, there's there's all of the pieces of you, right? There's like your body language, how you show up. People can hear your tone without the fear of any, you know, uh, static or noise in the background or, um, or uh, you know, <laughs> to use the kids again, running around in the background talking yeah. or whatever. Um, and then there's other things like your style, your clothes, like people experience the whole you mm -hmm. when you show up in person. And I love that point about... Um, if there is a pressure, if someone were to feel pressure to almost like reinvent themselves or they were going through all of this change and on top of it, like an identity crisis, like, am I the same person on camera as I am in person? Like what, you know, if my hair is not done perfectly because I didn't have time to straighten it this morning or because my room is a little bit messy in the background, like what does that say about me as a person? We're kind of showing up in different ways. And you're right. That can absolutely be this kind of like, um, challenge to your authenticity or in, in the positive sense, a real opportunity to let your office authenticity shine in a whole new and different unencumbered way. Yeah. I, I think for me personally is like, I know how to be myself in this forum in the same exact way for the most part that I was in person. And so the, my clients were not experiencing this vastly different version of Darian. You know, there was like, okay, this is, he make, he's making it feel very similar, although it's different, very similar. Clearly he's accepted this mode of, of, I need to fall into that too. But then, you know, there's also the sense like, you just have to accept that you're going to see yourself in a screen. You know, yes. like, I think that's a big part of like problem for a lot of people. They're not, you're not used to seeing yourself in a mirror constantly. Oh my gosh, this person. is absolutely true. Yeah. And it bothers people. I've heard from so many people, like they have been so aware of like how their hair looks, the gestures they're making mm -hmm. and it, and it bothers them. It just never bothered me. I was like, this is just how it is. I must accept it. But then again, I grew up in a military family and I was forced to accept a new environment every couple of years. I just had mm. to, nothing I did was going to change that this was going to happen. So I just tend to fall into things pretty seamlessly because I have practice at it, you know? That is, I mean, that is a real, uh, that's a real gem of an insight, Darian, because that <laughs> is, you've sort of cultivated this detachment um, and yes. acceptance that a lot of people haven't, to be honest, ha many have not had the opportunity to create, maybe because of their own uh, you know, circumstances growing up or, or things out of their own control, um, or maybe because they just don't or haven't taken the time to work on that. And I know you and I talked a lot about that in our last episode too, is like what we actually create the space to work on and develop for ourselves as leaders um, and how we continue to kind of develop our own self-awareness um, plays a huge role in how comfortable we make others feel, how psychologically safe other people feel around us. And in this case, how readily you translate your whole self to a screen, honestly. Yeah, you're almost like downloading yourself into this, into virtual reality, not quite, but you know, on some level it's virtual, you know, through video conferencing technology and things. So in many ways you are downloading the essence of who you are into another format. and the problem I have seen with that is there has been no um, slow integration into it. There's been no training or mentorship into it. It's like one day I was at work in an office and the next day I was on a Zoom meeting. And 
it's this distortion of your reality. And you're asking people to become, to normalize this really strange reality of turning it on. How do I do this? What's this connectivity issue I'm seeing? Why is my face on here all the time? Like, and then like people looking at themselves, adjusting their hair, touching their face constantly. And you're like, do I do that this much? And you're just constantly aware of like all your mannerisms. And it can be like mind numbing. For me, it just never bothered me. I just, it just was not a thing for me. But I have seen that this kind of level of uncomfortability of, you know, how am I showing up? Or there's people who have a very large sense of, uh, they lack the social cues or like they'll be online and they'll just be doing weird stuff because they forget that they're on online and they're doing like stuff in their home that they would normally nobody sees. And then people see it and they're like, Hey, you know, you're like, you're going Camera to the bathroom. Gone, friend. Yes. There's a loss of like perception that other people are watching, right. you, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. All absolutely. <laughs> totally true. Yeah. And you might not like how you look when you see yourself constantly in a mirror. You're like, I don't really like this. It is incredibly disorienting. It's like a very, you know, to take it super meta, you are that is it's a hyper self or self-awareness, right? You're just yeah. and we're all uncomfortable with it to a certain extent until we're not. Hopefully we get to a point where we do where we accept it. But it's a journey to get there. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You're walking around normally in society. There's not like there's a mirror constantly in front of your face dangling in front of you and you're constantly seeing what you look like. You know, More you exist in a world where you don't, oh my gosh, you <laughs> exist in a world where you walk around and you're, you're almost not aware of how you look regularly, unless you're like in a gym or something, or you're, you know, around a place with a lot of mirrors, you're just kind of existing. And then yeah. you look down and you see, you know, the view of yourself as I look down, I see my legs, I see my arms, you know, you can't like see your face from mm-hmm. your eyes. Mm-hmm. So that part I think is, has reintroduced our face to ourselves on a regular basis Whereas you've been introduced to your legs, your arms, your chest, your feet all the time, but not your face, not your face. And which is an especially fascinating thought when you're talking about having difficult conversations. It's, you know, I think this, what we're talking about is probably a huge contributor to how well some of those conversations do or do not go. Um, Because, you know, when you're having, when you're addressing conflict or you're addressing tension or you're, you're having an interpersonal um, disagreement, um, or there's a riff in a relationship and you're trying to address it and reconcile it virtually, you, there are so many factors at play already. And then on top of it, it's compounded by the fact that you're kind of coming to terms with how you even show up, literally show up in those conversations, you know, gosh, do I always furrow my eyebrows like this when I'm having these types of conversations with this person? My gosh, is this what they've seen? No wonder they haven't gone well in the past. And so there's so much probably that people are kind of experiencing at once. It's information overload in so many ways. It is like you're, it's almost like you're redrawing. There's been a a printing of who you are and you're, you're constantly seeing who you look like. I think that's really awkward for a lot of people. And it's like, then you start questioning yourself and how you feel about how you look and your, this identity. I think we've hopped over, we've talked about fatigue and things of that nature. But as you say with mask and things, it's deeper than that. It's not the mask. It's not the technology. It's all of a sudden what the technology has done 
to make us look behind the mask. Mm -hmm. Do I really like how I look, how I feel, how do I present myself? Becomes all these existential questions that you never thought about before, and it can be very concerning. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many um, conversations I have had in conflict coaching sessions that I've done with people, and the answer is insecurity, whether it's how it's the answer to how they have handled a situation or whether they are trying to figure out why someone else did and said the things that they did. Um, and I think so much of what you and I are talking about is this kind of um, this discomfort with and um, and maybe impatience with getting used to the idea of um, understanding how we may be insecure in our own, each in our own ways, whether that's, you know, appearance looking at a screen or how we how we handle conversations or um, how we address difficult conversations around values and beliefs and perceptions. Um, it's really, it's really interesting. I tell you, this turned into something way different. <laughs> I, I, I know. I wonder if we're taking people on a meta, meta philosophical journey with us and I dig it. Seriously. I, dig it. I was like, man, this, this, this went uh, deep in a very different way, man. You know, like, and I think that's neat. I think it's good. And I actually think it's, that's what's great about these kind of unscripted conversations is you, you kind of start out one way. You look at the person and say, oh, this person does conflict resolution, mediation. This person is in fitness and stuff. And then you start diving down this weird rabbit hole of like these different topics. And then you start thinking, who, who am I? What, what am I? What is my purpose? You're like, I thought yeah. we were talking about masks here. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no. And I and I will say based on my last conversation with you, I thought about jotting some notes down. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go in blank slate, no expectations, because I fully believe Darian will just ask me some really great questions. And oh, we'll nice. and we'll talk it out. I, I always tell people, I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm like, seriously, I'm not going to let it be weird. I will not. That's not my personality. And one like, I mean, my personality falls on many spectrums in a sense. But like, being awkward is not one of them. <laughs> not, I'm not that guy who like makes that. people feel awkward and is like, so, um, Natalie, um, well, you, um, like, I don't know. That's just not me. I just know how to move in and out of conversation. So I'm like, trust me, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I appreciate that. And I'd like to think the same of myself, which I think is, it is, yeah. um, it's a gift and it is a skill too. And I think it does certainly help with so much of everything else that we've been talking about and, um, and everything that people are, that we're kind of all going through right now in our own different and unique, um, and important ways, but it's just an openness, um, of mind and heart that is, uh, really critical to letting conversations flow, you know, versus versus shutting people out or not being willing to hear or understand or learn or empathize. Well said. And as always, it's a pleasure speaking with you, Natalie, and I'm sure I'll receive more feedback about this conversation as well as we've gone deep. Thank you so much for being on and uh, I look forward to speaking again.
Thank you for having me. And I will say if people are interested in um, the virtual conflict, um, spotting and addressing virtual conflict, I have a, I'll share a link with you and you can share it out to people. And I also have it in my LinkedIn profile. Um, but it's a quick video on just what to look for and what to be mindful of in virtual meetings. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Natalie. I appreciate it. Thank you, Darian. I appreciate it too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.